Well, how should Christians respond to the coronavirus pandemic? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's, and today I'm coming to you from my home in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, Like many of you, I'm sheltering in place. So instead of recording at our studios at Salem Radio, we're recording this podcast through Zoom. And I believe the sound quality is still good, but perhaps not as good as it is normally. But like everyone else, I'm learning to make do. And I'm just so grateful that we live in a time where we can work from home and do classes online and churches online and podcasts online. So praise God for that. I'm also grateful to have with me today Dr. Lena Abujamra. Lena runs her own ministry called Living with Power, but she's also a pediatric ER doctor and has been on the front lines dealing with a coronavirus crisis. So I'm super grateful that she's taken time out of her extremely busy schedule to join us. And I know she's going to have just some really important insights on how we as Christians should be responding to this crisis. But before we dive into today's podcast, I want to just take a moment to thank our sponsors. Again, a main sponsor of this podcast is Judson University, and they've been fantastic friends and supporters of my work. And I would just ask that you pray for Judson and other Christian colleges and universities just struggling to deal with the coronavirus crisis. Our other supporters are the Illinois Family Institute and Marquardt Buick. If you want to stay current on policies impacting faith and families, I encourage you, check out IFI's weekly podcast. Just go to ifiaction.org slash podcast. That's ifiaction.org slash podcast. Well, again, joining me today is Dr. Lena Abujamra, founder of Living with Power, but also a pediatric ER doctor and a wonderful friend and sister in Christ. So, Lena, welcome. I'm so appreciative that you took the time. I'm happy to be here, Julie. So again, you've been up since very early this morning, what, for the past 10 hours doing, what do you call it, telemedicine? Your Yeah, I left the ER uh, two years ago and after a career of 18 years in the Children's Hospital uh, in Chicago and then at one of the community hospitals and and phased out into telemedicine because of the growing work we were doing in uh, the Middle East with Syrian refugees. And so, uh, it, it, my practice of telemedicine has grown tremendously as insurance companies have, uh, across the board, basically recognized that as a service that alleviates cost and volume overload uh, to urgent cares and ERs. So, over the years, we've seen it grow to incredible numbers, but nothing like the last two weeks of the coronavirus outbreak. Um, mm-hmm. People have avoided going in to the ERs and the urgent cares and doctor's offices. So it is now a common thing to hear pa- patients say, we called our doctors and they will not see us because we have a fever. And so patients have had to use the telemedicine services in order to get care, uh, not only for coronavirus issues, but also for regular health issues. And many patients, of course, are scared to go in and smartly avoiding to go in if they don't have emergent conditions, so urgent care type things. And so our volumes have gone from uh, typically, and you know, you'll have fifty to hundred patients waiting in the waiting room on a busy day to fifteen hundred to up to nineteen hundred at one point. I think a few days ago, on a regular basis, anytime I tap into the the app and 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 try to do work. And so for the past ten days, I've been working a little extra hard, trying to do my share of um, helping the system and helping people who uh, are looking for care and are willing to wait up to fifteen hours at times and still showing grace. Uh, to myself when I call them at four in the morning, uh, because that's when I start. Wow. Wow. And, and so what percentage of the people who are calling you right now have coronavirus related concerns? I don't have the actual data, but just my impression looking is about 50% right now. 
I would say maybe less, maybe 40%, but not much less than that. And it's grown tremendously over the course of the week. And the conversations have changed. And and I say literally it's a week. Today is Wednesday, maybe a week and a half. But I remember a week ago, Friday, so 10 days ago, I was back and visiting my mother in Florida and the conversations about coronavirus were growing. But still, nobody was thinking we would be where we were today, even though we were watching Italy kind of expand in their um, in their in their issues and in the severity of the problem there. And so I remember coming home on Saturday, trying to scramble to get my own toilet paper, not knowing what would happen, and just all of a sudden seeing the waiting room go from like again a hundred to a thousand patients. And then uh, that Saturday, Sunday, a week ago, I, I was sort of started to make sense of these conversations, knowing very little about coronavirus and educating myself as I was trying to also figure out what the resources were for patients. And now, 10 days later, people have a good handle on some things and a lot of chaos still in other things. And so my job is to try to triage them appropriately and treat them when I can and provide some sense to most people who are sitting somewhere in their homes wondering whether they're going to die. Oh, my goodness. And this must be so scary for folks that actually do have other conditions as well, because, uh, you know, I heard just this morning that a friend of mine uh, has a kidney stone right now and, you know, is in in incredible pain. And what do they do with that? And she's afraid to go into the hospital. And rightly so. I mean, I can understand that. And so there's just the amount of anxiety for our friends and neighbors who aren't healthy right now. I mean, I'm glad they have your service that they can call, but I mean, this is tough. This is really tough for Christians to be in this situation and not feel anxiety. Uh, No question about it. It's tough for any human. And I think Christians are supposed to be able to get a handle on on fear and anxiety, but I think we're also human and I think we're grappling with readjusting lives. And that's just a medical part that we're talking about. And of course, so many layers of of fear, loved ones who are now, I get, uh, you know, of course, in the last week as as things have exploded besides doing the medical work. And I've been averaging 10 to 12 hours of medical work a day, but we've also done a lot online. I have a ministry where we do uh, Bible teaching, discipleship, and, uh, and we have really gone on just full you know, mode. Uh, we started a Facebook community group. I'm teaching online. I do these Facebook lives, educated about coronavirus on Facebook Live with a very you know growing people group that is tuning in and listening, encourage be, uh, encouraging people spiritually through what I've called COVID updates with Dr. Lena, two, three minute segments where I just handle, you know, every couple of days, sort of an issue that comes up to the surface and people are just bombarding, you know, with, of course, their questions and, but opportunities to redirect the perspective and the conversation to Jesus and seeing him just do a work of, of reuniting people in ways that maybe we had not expected before people are listening. And so we've really seen, um, immense uh, fruit in what God is doing in people's lives and, and the peace that only God can bring has become much more evident to me as I've been able to do some of those um, endeavors. It's been exciting. Well, that is exciting. And it's neat to see how something that, you know, Satan intends for evil, no doubt about it, yet God can use it for good. And it is an opportunity, I think, for ministries like yours and, and other Christian ministries and churches to step up. I know just this week I was talking with uh, one of our pastors, in fact, he called yesterday, and my husband and I um, shepherd a group, a small group with another couple, and we've kind of divvied out. It's it's kind of a medium-sized group. We call it small group, but it, gets, <laughs> it keeps growing, so it gets bigger and bigger. But um, but we love the you know these people under our care, and and so uh, he was shepherding me. But then it was like, well, give people in your group a call, and so we're all calling. And I was saying, you know, some of these people I haven't had a one-on-one conversation on the phone. Mm. But because of this crisis, 
were having those one-on-one conversations. And I found out things that was that were going on in their life. And there was kind of that personal one-on-one connection that that we didn't have. We're doing our, our community group. We normally meet on Monday nights. We did a Zoom group. So we <laughs> we met by Zoom. And and it was neat to see how God was ministering through us to each other, you know, using online platforms. But but really, I mean, don't you see this as an incredible opportunity for the church to be the church? Because when there's when there's pain, when there's suffering, that is when the church can step up in some ways and be the church in a greater way than maybe it even was before. Oh, I mean, I, I don't have a question that God is using this crisis to uh, to purify his church. I think that there's a lot of money and time and energy spent on church activities that have, I will go as far as say zero value in terms of souls and ministry and uh, care of individuals. And I really believe that the, all the negative of coronavirus aside and all of the fear, and all, I think there's something that is going to happen out of this in the way that we do church that is going to massively and radically change um, the New Testament church that is now in existence. And I think that is for good. Uh, I really believe that. Hmm. Boy, there's so much I could talk about on that because I've seen it too. And when we even met for church two weeks ago, not this past Sunday, because this past Sunday, we weren't allowed to be in each other's homes, but we had neighbors in our home to watch our church service online and we prayed together. And it was, it was powerful. Even my, my 17 year old daughter was like, man, that that was really cool doing church in a home. And so I do think there's there's neat things coming out of that. And and even with my neighbors, we, we put notes in some of their mailboxes just saying, hey, we're here to help. If you need anything, let us know. So I do think there's opportunities for community. But let me turn this to the seriousness of Corona, because it seems like in the Christian community, there's two camps. There's one camp that's saying, man, this is really serious and it's everything it's cracked up to be. And as Christians, we need to be kind of on the forefront of taking seriously what our governor tells us, shelter in place, whatever. Um, but there seems to be another part of our community that's saying, yeah, this is a lot of hype. It's kind of blown out of proportion. In fact, let me play a clip. This is from Dave Ramsey. And Dave, I guess at his workplace, one of his employees came down with coronavirus and David sent out an email then on March 15th, soon after, to all of his employees said, hey, listen, we're keeping the offices open. I expect you to report to work. That email then got published in the Nashville scene. And we'll talk about uh, what happened as a result of that. But just a few days earlier, Dave was comparing the coronavirus to Y2K and saying people just need to calm down. You might get the flu. You might get a virus. You're more likely to die of a car wreck. But you didn't quit driving cars. I don't understand you people. Statistical analysis. You didn't quit. You, you still smoke. You've been smoking for 15 years. We know that kills you. And you don't stop that. But you're hiding in your house right now and afraid to come out. This is just, it's crazy. Hysteria really makes smart people look dumb. Because they are. Their critical thinking skills have melted down. So just go back to Y2K. When your friends are going crazy right now, just look at them and say, bless your little heart, which is Southern for you're stupid. Well, again, that's Dave Ramsey and kind of making light of it, kind of saying, hey, if, you, if you're going crazy in this whole thing, I don't know, kind of sounds like he's saying you're stupid. He did, after the Nashville scene published that he was staying open in an email that he had sent out, 
to his staff on March 20th. Then he reversed course and now they are closing their office. But Lena, let me throw this to you. Is this just like Y2K and are people just overreacting to everything? Look, about three or four weeks ago, when people started hearing about coronavirus in China, before it started crossing the waves and before it hit the impact in Italy, I think there was a sense that it was out there, not over here. And I think we all thought it was like the SARS, I mean, to cut people some slack. And so there was a sense that maybe it wasn't that serious. I remember even being at the dinner table at my sister's house and my nephew telling me that there was a patient at Northwest Community who had it. And even talking with some of my colleagues and we sort of thought, yeah, let's see what happens. Like, I think there's maybe some skepticism early on. Uh, it didn't take long to start to see, I think Italy was sort of that like wake up call to most doctors. I really do. I think the idea that a country could be pummeled by a virus to this degree. And of course, everything started happening very quickly at that point. And China had taken immense measures to keep people in, you know, socially isolated. And then of course, Italy was late on the game in that. And people used Korea, of course, as a great example and on and on. But it was very, very quick for before people sort of woke up and realized and the doctor community, the professional community was like, this is not a joke. Like, okay, this is not the drill. We're not going outside for fire. I mean, it did not take long and you will not find anywhere right now, anybody in the medical field who would tell you, yeah, this is just another Y2 case. So with all due respect to that clip, I hope that was, a, I don't know what the date on that was, but my hope is that that was at least 10 days ago or maybe a week ago uh, to not make the person who said this sound like he is Southern stupid, I think is what he says at the end of the clip. And so, I, you know, when I hear things like that, that just seems, uh, and I, and again, with all respect, I know people love Dave Ramsey. He's given some immense wise counsel and finances and people will need financial counsel, but there's a point where we sort of listen to this. And as a doctor, I sort of tune him out. I'm done with that. I don't, I can't listen to that because that's nonsense. And that yeah. puts people in danger. Well, and I think, too, he was thinking financially, don't pull everything out. We've seen crashes before. And I think he is right. trying to bring some calm there. Although I don't think any of us know, even financially, what's going to happen with our stocks or retirement funds. It's, it is a little bit nerve wracking. But right. I do think there, to be fair to him, like you said, I mean, we should realize that we have had disasters happen before in the stock market and it's recovered. And so I do think there's a point to which... You should keep it calm. I'm a little less, little less forgiving to Jerry Falwell Jr., who recently decided to keep Liberty University open. Everything else is closing. Lena, is is it safe? Is there a way to do safe being on campus in a dormitory type setting? Um, I do think they'd have some tents outside and they're trying to have smaller groups, but is this something we should be doing? I mean, it, it seems a little crazy to me, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, I mean, yes, of course. I mean, I think, I think it's it's sort of shocking to a certain degree, and and, and I, it's surprising to me that it's legal. I I wonder what leeway the staff and the students would have. I mean, that always comes. I mean, is this something that they'll lose their job, or what happens if they don't abide by that? Because I think humans have ultimately a personal responsibility to watch the news, listen, and make decisions. You know, we're not robots, and and I think right now is too soon. Again, this is March. Uh, I guess look at the dates, but 25th is too soon for people to be in what would be considered sort of a communal living. Now, you know, I, I, I think if a teacher goes into her office or his office and they're alone and they're not meeting, you know, it's socially isolated, running a class from the office, I can understand that. But students in a dorm community, I think you're putting the students at risk. And I think it is absolutely contraindicated at this point where the numbers in the United States are nowhere near their peak. So we're, we haven't even, 
I mean, I think we're at what 60,000 today on March 25th. I predicted by the weekend we'd be well over 100,000 cases. And mm. you do the math, you know, and so you're just contributing to that. And so now the conversation, of course, in the US has been like, when do we go back to normal? And I, I put a video out yesterday uh, that was sort of picked up a lot by people because the sentiment was in the video, and you can catch it probably on one of my social media pages. But in essence, you know, we're going from Chicago to Florida, we're not even in Kentucky, and we're asking, are we there yet? And so my fear when people, what, right now, when people are saying, well, we want to go back to normal, my fear is if people go, quote unquote, back to normal to any degree, is this, this, I think people think that coronavirus is like the flu, and that somehow you can integrate back into society, and some people will get it, and then you'll be homesick for a little bit, but everything will sort of go back to normal. I think that's sort of the crazy part of it, is it's not the flu right? You've got a longer incubation period. You infect more people. And so now you send 10 kids into a dorm or 20 or 100, say five of them have the coronavirus. They give it to 2.3 other people who give it to 2.3 other people. Now, you know, people who are saying, well, I don't see the point. The ERs are not, you know, overrun with people. First of all, that's ignorance. They are. And secondly, uh, watch New York. I've been really sort of baffled by the fact that the American people think that New York is another country. <laughs> like they're over there and that's their problem and we're over here and and we're okay you know we're in texas or we're in alabama or we're wherever you know even seattle you know washington state has done a good job of keeping their numbers down for now but it is a completely different setup than 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 new york and of course the dr fauci has made a point i think as of even yesterday to remind people that we're not doing massive testing we are doing more and more of it so we will have more numbers in the next week or two so for jerry follow to say okay kids can go back to the dorm is so premature that there's just no excuse for it, let alone logic. Yeah, well, and I think of our witness. What is this doing to our Christian witness? I know one of our, a business that I love, have always been a big supporter of Hobby Lobby. They've taken some great stands, but I'm just baffled right now that they're open. And I had uh, a reporter who she's, she's not a, uh, a reporter for a Christian outlet. She's a reporter for a secular outlet. And she reached out to me privately, but I think she is a believer, but she reached out to me and this is what she said, just some personal venting, Julie, these Christians such as David Green, who are keeping schools and businesses open despite government shelter in place orders are making me so angry. I believe they are sinning in the Bible specifically calls for us to obey civil authorities God has placed over us unless to do so conflicts with God's higher law. They need to be called out for their sin. Church worship, one might have a First Amendment argument, but again, she's saying this idea that God will protect us from this virus and we can go out there and kind of flaunt our liberty and our freedom as you said, we need to think not just about our own personal safety, but the personal safety of others that we become a host and we can carry this disease elsewhere. And so right. we need to, again, I've been sheltering at home. I haven't gone anywhere other than a bike ride and a walk. And thank goodness my husband's willing to do the grocery shopping and he does most of that. But we well, really I think need to be thinking about our neighbor as in don't infect your neighbor and don't get infected so you don't infect your neighbor, right? Well, and I, and I, I think it's going to become, I mean, the sad thing is there's really two scenarios, really, at the end of the day. I mean, you can be pragmatic about the whole thing and so then think about it. You can either abide by shelter in place until the numbers level off and there's more data and there's more um, medical, not political, but medical advice as to what's okay and, and input by doctors who right now, frankly, are 
many of them are too busy and, and too inundated. Like I'll literally get asked regularly about, about things that will flash. Like somebody will write an article somewhere about some medicine or some blood type or so. And I'm like, man, I have, I don't, it's not even in my radar. Like, you know, so you're like Googling it and you're going, it is so irrelevant to the care of sick patients in that moment that you, you can't even, you know, you're trying to bring people back to like, okay, you don't need to know that. That's like you're trying to read a PhD paper when you're still in like the sixth grade. And I'm not being insulting. I'm, I'm just being real. Like, I don't even know that stuff. And so I think people need to kind of tune it, tune it back a notch and sort of let the medical community get to that stage where they can say, okay, now is okay from a public health perspective to be back out in the open. And, and I think this is, this is hard for people to hear. So one scenario is, yeah, you listen and you wait and it is stressful. And I think we can talk in a minute about the financial implications of this, which I think is the driver here. People yeah. live paycheck to paycheck. They don't have a six-month reserve. They're not Dave Ramsey. It's ironic that he's pushing his people to go in because if he abode by his principles, they should be able to work from home for six months. And so that doesn't make right. sense to me. Now, in the meantime, the other scenario is you say, screw it. We're not going to do that. We're going to go back to normal because we're Americans and we can do this. And everyone goes back to normal and you live to see the consequences. Now, are you willing to do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, what I've seen in Italy and, and the, the, what I hear from my friends who are on the front lines, it's already mass chaos. I, yeah. Today, I had a conversation with a doctor who has friends in New York. It is not good in New York. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's uh, regardless. What is it of, like? What, it, well, what, what do they well, say it's, it's chaos, like in the hospital? Chaos. The, word, the word is chaos. People everywhere, even here in Chicago, mm-hmm. everybody's showing up to get tested. And so, uh, and, and of course, you've got to tune out, you know, to tease out the sick people from the non-sick people. The difference is the volumes are bigger in New York. So the hospitals are full. The ICUs are full. The doctors are getting, many, many doctors have gotten infected. It's not like this is a real risk. So I want to ask the American people in those situations, like, what are you going to do when, yes, you go back to normal, but now you no longer have doctors who can manage you because they're all home because they're sick or they're dead or they're on two-week quarantine. You see, now what are you going to do when you show up to the hospital? Not everybody can do what I'm doing, sit at home and see patients. I'm seeing 100 patients a day on the phone every day from 4 in the morning till 2.30 in the afternoon, every day for the past 10 days. And I have no foreseeable change at this point. And I'm constantly feeling guilty about the fact that there's a 1,000 patients waiting when I hang up and say, I'm done for today. It's so hard. And, All right, so, so, hard. So, so now, yeah, so for the listener who's like going, what are doctors are excited about? Because... We've seen lesser disasters, nothing to this degree. Mm. And we know the impact of a lesser disaster. Mm. You know, and I've been thinking about uh, what is our responsibility? Like, I know my husband and I, a week ago when I heard about this, I'm like, shoot, we should order on Amazon some face masks. Well, of course, you can't really get them. But if I do get them now, I realize I can't keep them for myself. I got to give them to the hospital. I got to give them to the fire department. I've got to give, you know, I can't keep those. I'm not a first responder. And the first responders don't have enough face masks. Um, I was reading today as well that the food banks, in fact, I have a call into our Northern Illinois food bank trying to find out some more information, but a lot of these food banks are in crisis situations because they're not able to stock the food right now. What's our responsibility as a church to go and help some of these food banks? And I think we need to be thinking, I mean, again, we're believers. We should be different. So what can we do? How can we reach out? And so speak to people, speak to us right now. I mean, maybe you know some things I'm not even aware of. What are some things that we can do to begin helping our communities and being a part of the solution instead of part of the problem? Well, I think that 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 is right there, the case in point. I mean, I think Christians who are leading the discussion to break the 
rules set by governors in order to protect the people. So rather than saying, what can you, I mean, we're doing the very opposite of what one should be doing, right? We're right. literally challenging. And now, like, I'll give you another example before I, maybe some practical things, but, but like a Christian school in the Chicago community, uh, sent out a letter to students. And I know that because it's very close to members of my family. And in one same letter, they announced when the kindergartners through whatever grade they have is going to be going back to school. They've already set a date to go back in April. And in that same letter talked about how there was an exposure of coronavirus in that school through a parent in one letter. Mm. And you're like, okay, that is not, okay. You want to know what a Christian should do? It's not that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you see what I mean? And so, so now you kind of go, what? Okay. Patience. Like the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, patience. Mm. Let things play out. We are eight, nine, ten days into this. Mm. That, that's it. It's simply prayer. Mm. Settle down and, and get on your knees. I honestly, I'm shocked. I see occasional people praying here and there. I am shocked that I have not seen massive movements of prayer in the in that greater evangelical, you know, whatever we call the Eva complex like like right. it's still articles on this articles on that but we are the prayer movements mm. that are calling people back to god that are calling people calling the lord on the lord for healing like desperate healing like yeah. yes science is doing the best thing we're the leaders in the christian community that are rising now and saying okay here's here's how this is going to play out now individually i see a lot of good work being done by christians i have so many christians that send me emails and ask me the question how do we help doctors how do we support them and 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 the face mask sewing of masks for doctors mm-hmm. is something very practical that people have been able to do. Um, trust, you know, people have been so kind to me on the phone. Like I can mm-hmm. tell, you know, the Christians and non-Christians alike, you know, the little kindnesses uh, I call people after 12 hours of waiting and they're not complaining. They're asking, they're thanking me for taking mm-hmm. their call. And and there is, mm-hmm. and I can tell the Christians, they'll even say to me, we're praying for you. We're, oh. and, and little things like this, that when I'm at my wits end, I think, okay, I can do this a little bit longer. Oh, that, you know, that's great to hear. And I will say just actually a few minutes before I got on this podcast, so I haven't really looked into it, but I did get an email from somebody who I guess they're doing a massive online prayer and call to prayer where we all all get on and we start praying together. So, I mean, stay tuned for that. I'll publicize it if I get more information and hopefully we can, we can do these as a Christian, a larger Christian community. I mean, we've been doing it as our small groups and as our, our church community groups, but we need to do this. I think exactly like you're saying in a, in a big collective way, be praying for one another. Let me ask you just some really practical questions though, because I know a lot of people are asking about this right now. One is, and it, this is what's so weird about this disease, is it seems to present itself so radically differently with different people. Like some people have no symptoms, right. zero symptoms, and they can be a carrier. So that's scary. Some people, it sounds like the incubation period is 14 days. I've read, I read an article today that said it could, there was somebody that it was 27 days, that it, that it just can be a very large, uh, long incubation period. So it makes people wonder, okay, gee, my throat feels a little sore. Should, should I be calling? Right. Should I be going in? Or, or wow, I've had a 102 fever for the past three days. What should I do? I, so speak to those people who right now are thinking, when do I know it's time to do something? Right. What do I do? Yeah. I mean, I think that I sort of think I've read that there's four categories. I really boiled down to three real categories in, in my mind. And there's there's the, the asymptomatic carriers. There's the, the typical sick fever 
cough, trouble breathing, sort of that triad that everybody's familiar with now, plus minus other things that will come up. Like now the newest article someone sent me, it's like loss of smell, taste of or mm. taste and smell. So today we had a person with a chief complaint, of course, I can't smell. <laughs> and you're like, I mean, it's just funny because there's no other symptoms or diarrhea, you mm. know? So they're like, and I remind people the heart of the bad cases are like fever, cough, shortness of breath. So you've got the asymptomatic, you've got the typical symptomatic of what would look like the flu. Another blessing is I think the flu numbers are sl- trending down now. So it's mm. easier sort of to tell the difference. Yeah. And then um, and then you've got that sort of a lot of people now that present with what I would call bronchitis slash cold symptoms that you're like, I don't know, I guess it could be, but it could also be a cold. But, but I, what I know for those people is you don't have to be tested and you don't have to go in because you're going to get better. Now, if they have high risk factors, they might need to be tested um, for a number of other reasons. And so that's what I tend to do a lot with people uh, is answer those questions. And, 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 and apart from those very sick people, so there was a season a couple of maybe a week and a half ago where the asymptomatic ones was, you know, we were hunting down like travel related contacts and exposures. And I think now we have enough numbers to where I don't know that that those factors are a point anymore. I mean, you might be an asymptomatic carrier. We don't, I mean, it could be for, of any, I, mean, I don't, I think that's, mm-hmm. it is what it is. I think really the people that I'm worried about now are the ones who present with fever, cough, shortness of breath. And here's what I found, I'm finding more and more as we get into this. It's not that hard to see and tell when you have it. It's not like an enigma. Do I have it mm-hmm. or not? It's getting now to a phase where I can tell who has it. And then we're weak into it. And clinically, I now have a good sense of mm-hmm. who has it. And, and that's without right. exposure risks. Am I right every time? I don't know, because we're not, I'm not running the sample, but right. these people are sick. And those are the ones that need to be at the front of the line getting tested, going to the hospital. And those numbers are going to continue to grow. And so if you're the person with a sore throat, a little bit of the sniffles, don't stress it. You're the person who shouldn't be using telemedicine. Don't rush to the ER. Those are the people who are now going to the ERs going, we want to be tested and being asked to go home. You don't have, if you have the coronavirus, it is so mild. It's a moot point and everybody should be taking some social isolation precautions, some measures of Clorox wipes, the house, those things that we have been now trained to think about, sneeze into your hand, et cetera, et cetera. But if, and I tell people now, the last thing I'll say about this, like, I'll get couples now who call and, and it's clear that one of them might have it. Well, they've been in the house for a week, right? So you can quarantine them, but what's the point? Because the person who's with, you know, yeah, now if you know they're positive, sure, shut the door to the room, stay in, the, but you've already been around your spouse for the last week. And so the odds are they've already been exposed. So it sort of seems like don't go out of your house, practice social isolation, but you don't have to like wear some kind of astronaut suit in your own house. You just have to sort of still stay away from the kids and do those, stay away from the grandparents, take a little more seriously some of those things that you might have been lax on before. And what about, I I was reading an article too that was saying uh, the first few days it often resides in the throat and that there are some things we can do like uh, drink hot liquid. There's no, no, not, not, I mean, all of these things are not harmful. It's like when you have a cold, you take vitamin C. Is it going to keep you from getting a cold? Maybe. (laughs) <laughs> but it really, I mean, you know, like it makes you feel good. Like you did something, but, but if you've got a virus, it's going to give you the cold. It's sort of many factors play into it, including how, how stressed you are, how tired you are, how, mm-hmm. you know, how much viral load you've had, which is again, why we try to maintain distances and Clorox wipe everything in your house, et cetera. And so, mm. no, I mean, these are all good things, you know, do them. I mean, it gives you something to do. You're sitting in the house <laughs> for now, but, but no, you're saying it doesn't really do anything, right? No I mean, for it. No. Yeah, no treatment. Uh, Other than symptomatic care, just supportive measures, 
most people, 81%, I think is the number that's touted now, will do really well. And uh, 3%, again, the number that's touted, we don't, not exact, because we don't know how many have it and how many are dying, but let, let's say up to 3% are dying and then sick people in between. The load on the medical system, and I'll repeat that, why this is such a big deal, if you look at the percentages of how many people could get it in the United States and just extrapolate based on what we've seen so far, how many of those could get really sick and how many of those could need an ICU bed and how many of those, will, the system cannot manage it. And we're seeing that now play out in New York City. This is key. You're seeing it play out and you go, well, we're not New York City. We live in Iowa. Everybody lives in, okay, then, then go out to the restaurant and see what happens in a week. But that's, again, you use the word at the beginning of the show. It's just, I'm going to use the, say, the word, that's just not smart. I'm not going to say stupid, but it's just not smart. And so mm-hmm. when you go back to normal, I think you have to give it a little bit more time. I don't know the answer to that. I appreciate mm-hmm. the sentiment of optimism, but mm-hmm. I think still it's too soon. That I can tell you to make those predictions. It's too soon. And right now, what is the situation when it comes to testing? I'm hearing... It's much that, better. It is better. Much better. Much better. You can get a test within... In some places, four hours, but 24 hours is sort of standard. We were at four days before. I yeah. Now I have people, my friends, who will tell me, I, I, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I have a friend who's diabetic, had a fever. I felt like they needed a test. I, I don't order the test. I'm, I said to them, here's what you need to do. Call the COVID hotline. And I'm thinking they're going to be on the phone for hours. I had two people in the last 24 hours that I know outside of my work that called mm-hmm. and have already been tested. Oh, that's, that's if, fantastic. If, if they need it. If they need it, what you're not going to get is that 24-year-old or that 35-year-old who has a scratch in his throat or her throat. And they're mm-hmm. like, I just want to know if it's COVID. You know, you might, there are some places in some places in the United States that are doing random testing, but I'd be shocked if that person gets to test because you got to save it. There's an order of, there's clinical symptoms. It's like if I went in today and said, I want a flu test. I'm not going to get a flu test. Well, I want to, I want an x-ray of my chest. I want to see if I have a pneumonia. Well, you don't, you don't, you have symptoms. And so there's a logic to it. So if you meet criteria and doctors quickly are very comfortable now in, in making those decisions and nurses and allied health professionals, I mean, this is a week is a short time, but it's also a long time when you're thinking about it and, and seeing it. And so trust the process. The health departments are working hard. It is much better than it was. Can it get better? It will be better. It will yeah. be better. They're working on fast tests. So I'm optimistic about all of those things. The numbers will come in. Uh, there's no question in my mind. And you're seeing it by seeing how many today, 60,000 patients. By the end of the week, I believe we'll be over 100,000. Some of that is because people are being tested. We're a big country with 300 million people, hmm. many of whom have flown through New York City. And so yeah. we're going to start seeing those increases. Not a reason to panic, but but now you can build data and you can make conclusions so that Dr. Felsey and his team can now come on the news and say, all right, here's a logical date when you can when you can go back to normal as opposed to making a prediction ahead of time and then yeah. living to regret it. And I think people will start to regret it when close loved ones will start to hurt. And I think until then, I think people will complain. It's, it, I grew up in Beirut in the middle of the Civil War. And, and that's the case. It's when it hits you or it hits close to home, when a bomb hits your house. It's much more personal than, than when it's down in another city. And so mm. uh, I hope we don't learn the hard way. Mm, I hope so, too. And I mean, it's interesting, your perspective, having grown up in Lebanon and, and right. experiencing being in a war zone. I mean, this is a war zone, right? This I mean, is a war zone. Yeah. Uh, b- 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 in some ways, I mean, different, but, mm-hmm. but in some ways worse. Um, in some ways, it's, it's, it's a new challenge. We, I grew mm-hmm. up in the war. We were used to it. Yeah, uh, this is a new product, a new way, and uh, against everything American. 
I've been in yeah. the United States long enough to know this is everything that is not what we're used to. Oh, the, it's, it's so hard. unusual. I mean, I yeah. never in my lifetime have I yeah. seen this. And I know people are comparing it to the Spanish flu. Well, none of us were alive right. <laughs> during the Spanish flu. So, and we we kind of think we're beyond that with our modern medicine, but we're really not. Well, wait, 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 wait. But we are. But, but I do think, I mean, I'm. this is my optimism is, is A, yeah. we, we believe the Lord can heal any second. And this could go away to, today. This in this, mm-hmm. I don't have any doubt about that. But even from a science perspective, I don't have a, question that a year from now there'll be a vaccine honestly i, I really we, we want to stay in the house for a year no but you don't have to there's so much mm. happening on the backside of science but but we're a week into it i go back to reminding people like literally there hasn't been enough time for this to for us to be talking about you know and I, about when we are going to go back to church right mm. having said that i think or, or by the way or the dorms or or students mm. who could be doing things online and now are putting themselves at, at harm's way or a kindergarten class who could be doing i saw my nephew do a zoom class with his teacher i know it can be done sat through the whole thing he could sit for four hours on that <laughs> so it's doable it is doable and that's, that's right. the part that baffles you is why are we pushing to put people at risk when there are ways that you can creatively create space for the people who need to come up with the technologies, do it. Right. Absolutely. And Liberty, I mean, university, which we were talking about earlier, I mean, they have, uh, what, 100,000 people who are taking classes online. They're experts at it. This is ridiculous. Uh, Absolutely ridiculous. Um, I did have a question regarding the tests. I know at one point, I'm glad to hear we can get them a lot quicker now. How long does it take for the results to get back? Because I was oh, well, as soon as 24 hours. No, I mean, most people are within 24 hours. I mean, the four day waits are no longer the case. I, I again, and I don't want to, I mean, like the, I haven't caught up today. I don't, I, I was, I literally finished seeing patients and got on the phone and everything is changing day by day. But I mean, pretty expectation of 24 hours is not unreasonable. I think it can, it's faster in some places. Mm-hmm. No, that's so it's, it's much better. Yeah. It's just, this, yeah. Is, this is again, a week into it. It's incredible. So there is more testing. It will, be, and then I think people will always look back and say, "Could they have started it sooner?" I mean, in December, China was talking about about the coronavirus. Why didn't we start doing it? But we didn't know. It was like we, it was over there. This is why, again, play the same scenario. We're looking at what's happening in New York, and we just think it's like other China, right? I mean, it's just yeah. the way that we're handling it. It's like it's some other city on the other. Mm-hmm. They, you know, everything happens there, stays there. On the contrary, how many people have flown in and out of there? How many? I mean, right. you just start thinking about the implications. And it is a lot, New York is a lot closer to Iowa than you might think. Well, and that's the thing right now, we're seeing how, how integrated our world is. You know, I mean, when the Spanish flu was happening to get from Europe to the US, they had to take a ship, which took several right. weeks. I mean, now it's a flight and, and we're, we are, we have a global economy. It's totally different. Um, and so we're, we're in uncharted territory. And we're seeing people, you know, like you said, this is going to really hit home when it's loved ones. I know for me, something that made this hit home for me was, and and again, this is someone from kind of my generation, Sandy Patty, singer, songwriter, Mm -hmm. so many of us familiar with her. And she recorded a video and put it on Facebook. And here she has tested positive for COVID now. And she's in the high risk group. And it really struck me, you know, hearing her voice and uh, hearing what she had to say. In fact, I, I pulled a clip from it. I thought it would be helpful to even listen to it and hear her in her voice describe what she's going through. Here's the thing I want to say to everybody. This is not fake news. This is real. This is everything that they say that it is. Um, and we just got to take it seriously. 
I'm really, really thankful that Don and I are first taking it seriously for ourselves. And when we make the right choice to quarantine ourselves, not only are we protecting ourselves and thinking about ourselves, it's the right decision for everybody else too. And secondly, I'm really thankful that we have a church that decided we can still have community online. And so, you know, we've been doing online rather than bringing all of our large numbers together on Sundays and Wednesdays. So uh, more to come in the, in the days to come. I'll keep you posted on how we're feeling and all of that. But do your part. That's all you can do. We can't do everybody's part for them, but we can do our part. So do your part. It's wisdom. And God has also, he's given us faith, but he's also given us wisdom. So this is the time to utilize that wisdom. So that's all I have to say about that, except that I wish you could see my husband behind the camera. He's straight yawning so bad. <laughs> because it's just, that's, <coughs> that's where we are. So thank you for uh, being attentive. Praise safety, and God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. So I pray that all those aspects of God will be shown to you. Okay, please take care of yourself. Wash your hands, moisturize, all of that stuff, and uh, be safe. I love the way she answers that at the end. You know, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what we can rest in as Christians. I. Did that hit you the, the way it hit me when you heard that, Lena? Uh, I mean, it says it was about four days ago. I saw it on something like that. And I, right. I honestly, my thought was um, she's she's not as well as, I mean, I was, I mean, as a doctor, I thought, man, she looks a little sick. I was, yeah. I would honestly say that I felt like she was winded and uh, trying to put a good face mm-hmm. on for people. And I respected that she did that video. And yet that was four days ago before people before the frenzy where now the conversation I'm hearing now in four, again, every day is a massive shift. When, she, when I first saw that people were still on board this, ah, we're going to stay home. It, we went on in, in my town in Chicago, we went on a uh, uh, shelter and home, not quite mm-hmm. lockdown. And now like in the last 24 hours, this shift in momentum of we want to be back by Easter. Oh, we want to be back out doing our normal stuff. Okay. Yeah. Maybe not completely normal, but somewhat normal. And so, how quickly we forget. And so all I think about when I hear her, even now, I think she sounds even more short of breath than I remembered. And so she's, she's making it one step at a time. And I think this is the point that I think doctors are trying to make. It is not a simple flu. It is like the worst flu that you've ever had in your life. If you have a good outcome, as opposed to the people who get admitted, once you get admitted, you know that you're in bad shape. And yeah. then of those, a lot of people end up dying. If you get on the vent, you're, that's, you see, that's the problem. And so I know that people have been sort of focused on, well, it's still elderly or, you know, every asthmatic is nervous because there's been a big, you know, press about the fact that it affects the lungs. And so everyone's calling in for inhalers, you know, I, but I think at the end of the day, it's so, you know, it's not just them that suffer. It's everybody. I mean, anybody's not that old. There's been others now in the news that have been younger and you can see it. They're not well, you know, they've talked about their experiences, many of them, and you can catch those. Um, it's, it's, it's not something to be taken lightly. I'm certainly not taking it lightly. And, uh, um, yeah, I'll be honest, like as a doctor, the day may come right now. I hear in New York, they're calling all doctors, not just ER doctors, mm. but ophthalmologists, gynecologists, 
people that have not been in emergent care demand the ER because there's not enough doctors and the doctors are themselves getting infected. So they're going to have to leave some sicker than others for a couple mm -hmm. of weeks. And so they're calling all of those people in, uh, in Illinois, they're calling retired doctors to come back and work. I know I'm doing telemedicine now, but mm. the day will come and I've looked at possibilities of deploying with Samaritan's Purse and praying in wisdom over whether I should deploy to New York City. Mm. And honestly, I'm scared. And mm. uh, um, and I have the spirit of God in me. And, you know, and I know that, but I also want to do the smart thing and I want to help the most people. And But I also want to live boldly and, and, and smartly. And so, um, and so, so think about as, as we're thinking about integrating our lives, think about people mm -hmm. like me who don't have a choice. The day will come when there'll be enough sick doctors if we continue, you know, taking lightly or if we go to taking, because I don't think people are taking it too lightly now, but if we change our stance and start taking it lightly, you're putting us at risk. And, and I, we don't mind it up to a certain degree, but there's a point where, like I said earlier, like, what are you going to do when you don't have a doctor anymore to care for you? And incidentally, many people have experienced that now in the primary care settings where they have fever and cough and they're told, do not come to mm. the office. Mm. And so what are you going to do when now you don't have an ER doctor? You've got a gynecologist trying to manage your airway, mm. right? And uh, that's not a good place to be, Americans. And so that's, I think, the dynamic of medicine that doctors are aware of Mm -hmm. And people are not. And so you mm -hmm. think, what's the big deal? Well, it might not be until until you're in the hospital and uh, wondering what's going to happen to you because there's not a doctor or a nurse uh, or a respiratory therapist to help manage mm -hmm. your care. Well, yeah. And the best thing we can do right now is be as careful as we can be and be safe. And Lena, you mentioned prayer. And so I want to end this by uh, giving you an opportunity to pray for mm -hmm. us as a Christian community, but also for our neighbors, for our country, for our world, uh, as we face this coronavirus pandemic. So would you pray for mm -hmm. us? I'd love to. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful to know you. We're thankful that our hearts are connected to you through your son, Jesus Christ, and that we can come boldly into your presence and ask uh, for peace. And so God, right now, I ask for peace in this midst of chaos God, there are so many people who are so afraid. I ask that your spirit would just immerse through Christians to touch the lives of those who are struggling with anxiety, with depression, with fear, with stress, with how they're going to manage their families, with the tensions in the home. But God, I, I pray with all my heart that you would bring healing mm -hmm. to this coronavirus. God, simple prayer, Lord, but I pray that, God, yeah, that you would be with the sick, that you would be with uh, the American people who are trying not to spread infections, but God, simply put that you would heal us of the coronavirus, however you choose to do it. Lord, we believe that you are the God of all miracles. You're the God of the Old Testament and the New. You uh, brought about the plagues and then you stopped them in a second. You opened the Red Sea and allowed your people to go through it. God, you did this over and over again. And then you brought yourself down to earth in the form of Christ and rose mm. from the dead. So we know you can do anything. And so God, in the name of Christ, I ask that you would heal our lands God, not just the United States, but all over the world to think about the impact on countries who don't have the infrastructure and the technology. India, populated with billions, God, we pray that you protect people, that you would shed your light to, to, to many, Father, so that many would come to know you through this disaster that has come upon us. So, God, we recognize that we are sinners. We repent of our sins. We ask that you would use this crisis to bring us to full repentance as Christians, Lord, that we would come to a place of reckoning that there are things that we have done that have been contrary to the way that you want us to live. And God, through it, that we would go back to the purity of the gospel, to loving our neighbors, to, to understanding one another, to sharing Jesus with one another. And God, I pray that you would use this as an opportunity for us to see redemption in a massive way throughout the world. 
We thank you, God, that you're a God who hears us, that you're a God who loves us, that you're a God of healing, not of sickness, that you're a God of light and not of darkness, of peace and not of chaos, and that even in the midst of this, your presence is real and near us, and we give you all the honor and the glory. God, we ask Jesus that you would come back soon and reign over this world. Father, we long for you. Our hearts in these seasons long for more of you. Bring deliverance in every aspect of our life, and we give you all of the honor for all of these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And that's a proud, that was a powerful prayer. You can see why Lena's, the name of her ministry is Living with Power. Lena, how can people connect with you if they want to get those daily updates that you're doing, which are fantastic, by the way. I've been following those and just right. really enjoying them. Yeah, the best thing to do, go to livingwithpower.org. It'll connect you to everything we're doing. Join our community. You, we have, I'm live every Thursday from 7 to 8. I'm doing live Bible studies with our community. And then through our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can access all of those from our site. Uh, you'll be able to catch all of those videos. So email me on the contact page if you have any questions. I've asked people to do that and they have a lot of medical questions. I'm, I'm brief in my responses, but I try to answer uh, just about everybody who's emailed me. I think I have a couple waiting still for today's email. So go to the contact page at livingwithpower.org. Thank you so much, Lena. I've so enjoyed this. And thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And if you'd like to connect with me, just go to julieroy's, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Hope you have a great day. Stay safe, stay well, and God bless. Mm-hmm.